Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Sunday, September the 2nd edition, a very special edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we are joined by someone very close to this Dolphins team. We'll get his early impression on Adam Gaze and just the general vibe of the staff and the organization. We'll ask him about the superstar potential of Kenyon Drake and get an inside look at the week one opponent, the Tennessee Titans. But first, I kindly invite each of you guys to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter at Wingful NFL. Voted the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter by Dolphins Twitter and follow the show at Locked On Fins. And of course, the number one blog in the Locked On Network, LockedOnDolphins.com. And I would be wise to not waste any more time and go ahead and bring our guest on the podcast, Cameron Wolf from ESPN. That's another Miami Dolphins. And it is my pleasure to bring on my next guest, the newest beat writer for the Miami Dolphins, covering the team for ESPN. He is, of course, Cameron Wolf. Cam, thank you for chatting with me today. No, thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. And, uh, you know, first off, welcome to the show and welcome to the Dolphins Beat. And I was curious, how are you adjusting to life in South Florida? Oh, it's been good. You know, uh, it's mid-80s every day near the water, you know. Um, so I, I can't complain about that part. And, you know, learn, learning a new team takes time, but it's all football at the end of the day. Yeah, I was going to ask you later on in the show about kind of your your perception of the Dolphins team so far and just kind of the organization. But first, I wanted to ask you, Anytime I get someone that's close to the football team, you know, I like to ask about their perception of the program in general. And you give us a pretty unique perspective because you are an outsider coming in. But like, like I said, you clearly have done your homework in getting to know this team. So what is your general early perception with Adam Gaze and the program that he is running in Miami? Yeah, I've been around, I guess, uh, I guess five NFL head coaches in the short time I've been covering NFL teams, and they all have a sort sort of different way of running things. And you can tell Adam Gates is definitely uh, heavy on the offensive side. He's very uh, smart and very analytical on the way he does things, um, and he's very understanding of what's going on around him. I know that a lot of the public perception and, and you know what happened last season was uh, figuring out how to discipline and and, and make maintain control of the team and it seems like that's been a big focus for him uh these you know these few weeks of training camp you can definitely tell that there's an emphasis on his coaching staff as far as accountability so we'll see if that pays off on on the on the field uh he's very you know he can be surly at times he's very uh he's very matter of fact when he makes statements uh but i think he has you know some of the elements that you look for as far as an offensive playmaker, as far as knowing how to get a contact with his quarterback, being supportive with him, and uh, using his we- the weapons around him to you know make an explosive offense. So I think that Adam Gase, you know, is, is is still on track to be you know the good coach the Dolphins thought they hired. I mean, remember just two years ago he did make the playoffs. So I know I see all these hot hot seat things about Adam Gase. But I think the Dolphins are comfortable with him, and it'll be intriguing to see how he rebounds from 2007, which was, I mean, 2017, which was a rough year. Yeah, so many difficult circumstances face the team. And you mentioned him being on the hot seat. I believe the last time I checked, he was the fourth highest odds to be fired or to be the first coach fired this year. 
And I think one of the reasons you get that idea is because he's showing this faith in Ryan Tannehill, a quarterback that not a lot of people believe in. And also the fact that he just basically kind of gutted the roster, at least at the top part of the roster. Do you think that's going to be something he looks back on and, and realizes that was a mistake? Or is that going to be something that he kind of uh, springboards his career going forward? Yeah, I don't think he'll look back at it as a mistake. Like just from the short time I've known Adam Gase, and I know some people out in Denver when I was covering the beat out there who speak highly of him. He's a guy who's very content with his decision making, and when he makes a decision, he's going in all in on for that. So I know the public is, you know, not sure what the Dolphins are doing as far as getting rid of Jarvis, getting rid of, you know, uh, Ndamukong Sue and and Jay Ajayi and and Mike Pouncey all in the last you know twelve months. But for him, it's a big culture thing. He wants guys that fit what he wants to do. So, you know, that could be a stubborn way to go about it as a coach. Um, but if it works, you're, you're, you're treated as a genius. And if it doesn't work, you're fired. Um, so that's basically the situation that he's in right now. I don't think there will be much regret. I think that there won't be a lot of national attention on the Dolphins this year because they don't have that big name. But I don't think the coach cares if there's no national attention as long as he's winning. Um, so I, I think that's the big emphasis for the emphasis for him. It does make it more difficult to win without stars, but you can do it. And that's the way that we're going to uh, see Adam Gase approach this going forward. And being around the team for about a month or so, like, like you have been for now, do you get the sense that it's working? Like, is there a sense of harmony in the locker room? Because last year it, it was a, it was chaos, Cam, Cam. There was really just a bunch of things going wrong, guys throwing guys under the bus. Do you get a sense that that has changed this year? Yeah, well, I wasn't here last year, so I can't get a full summarization. I looked from the outside and I saw some of the things from Chris Forrester's end situation to the hurricane to, you know, the blow up with Jay Ajayi with him getting traded and the Jarvis fighting. So it, it was it was more chaos than you usually get in three years for a coach. So I know Adam Gaze probably aged about seven years last season um, and uh, it probably wasn't a fun year for him. But I do think that there has been some changes. I think that it helped them bringing in guys who a lot of people may have thought were over the hill but were veteran presence, like a Frank Gore, like a Danny Amendola, like a Josh Sidden. I think those guys will help the locker room. You need guys that have have been in situations, been in winning locker room cultures because losing, uh, not to quote Jarvis Landry, but losing is contagious. <laughs> and when you get when you get in situations where all you've seen is losing or mediocrity, people become comfortable with that, and then guys sort of tune it out, and you get a chaotic season like you did last season. So I think that he's made some some smart moves as far as you know he and and Mike Tannenbaum and Chris Greer have made smart moves bringing in guys, but you'll never know until you know chaos is the fan. You know, what happens if they go 0-3 to start the season? Um, do, do players turn on one another? Who becomes that big vocal leader? You know, Jarvis is gone. Sue is gone. Who takes up that role? Is that Ryan Tannehill? Is that Cam Wake? Is that Rashard Jones? There's a lot of, you know, that leadership question, you know, is going to be a big, big question mark throughout the year, and it can't just come from the coaches. So I think that's what they want to see, and we're going to see uh, pretty early in the season whether some of the changes uh, they made paid off. And you mentioned the veterans and how that's kind of been, at least from my eyes, Cam, it's been the focal point of everyone's narrative this offseason following the Dolphins is all these old names, you know, Robert Quinn, Frank Gore, Danny Amendola. But what people don't seem to realize is there is a pretty good young core in place here. Is that kind of part of the idea is to get that young core up to speed with these new veterans brought in? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, people assume that it was going to be either they're going all in on Adam Gase's last year with a bunch of veterans or they're going rebuilding. And they're somewhere in the middle. You know, yep. you mentioned the rookies. That's probably one of the most impressive things I've seen in this last month for the Dolphins is their rookie cl- rookie class. Uh, Chris Greer has to be pumped because Minka Fitzpatrick looks like a baller. He looks like a guy who can be a defensive rookie of the year candidate. Um, and I think he's going to be a really good player for a while. Mike Gesicki, we haven't seen a lot of uh, production in games yet, but from what we've seen in practices, he looks like he can be a, a you know real red zone threat, um, third down target as early as year one. And you know Kenny Stills compared him to having a potential Jimmy Graham, and that's not a that's not a compliment that gets thrown out lightly. So those guys, Jerome Baker's probably he's going to be a, a, a you know week one starter. So they're going to get a lot of production from those rookies, and I think if they get above average production for those rookies that could make them being a better team than a lot of the public uh you know it has been projected to be that's what we're all hoping for and we'll have plenty more here with my guest cameron wolf he is the dolphins insider for espn you can find him on twitter at cameron wolf but first a word from my bookie Football season is back, and so is MyBookie, one of the most reputable businesses in the sportsbook industry with great reviews online and one of the easiest mobile sites to use in the entire industry. Lay down some cash and win big today. I would only recommend a service to my listeners that has been good to me, and MyBookie has been fantastic to me. That's why I'm urging you to make your way to MyBookie, where you win and they pay. They have in-game, live betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business, and for you fantasy guys out there, there. You can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each and every game. Join now and MyBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar with promo code Locked On. That's right. Use promo code Locked On to activate that offer. Visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use promo code Locked On when creating your account to claim that bonus. MyBookie, you play, you win, you get paid. And rolling into our second segment here with Cam Wolf, Dolphins ESPN insider. And Cam, you wrote a piece last week about Kenyon Drake and the star potential that he exhibited late in the 2017 season. And in that piece, you detailed his growth as a player. And I don't know if you're familiar with his Twitter account or the social media around the Miami Dolphins, but he has tweeted a few times this summer about growing more mature as a person as well. Because if you recall last year, he actually got ejected from the final game. And then the Baltimore game this preseason, he was doing his celebration in the middle of a hurry-up offense. And I'm just curious, that sense of urgency, the sense of maturity, do you get the sense that this young man is ready for stardom? Because he certainly is playing like it. Yeah, I think as a player, uh, he has all the skill set to be, you know, one of the next up-and-coming star running backs in this league. Uh, He has the three-down potential. He has, you know, a great receiving uh, ability. Um, He has the ability to spin out of tackles, to make nothing out of something, and I think that's the true testament of a a, a, a potential star running back is if there's a block, a play block for two yards and you get 30 out of it, like we've seen from uh, Drake this offseason, that shows your growth. But I think you you hit it on the nail on the big question mark for Drake, and I think it's two question marks, but that may be number one, is that maturity. Um, Can you be – the person we trust to be a 16-game-a-season uh, three-down workhorse back. And I think this season he can prove that he's not there yet. 
Um, but he's got to prove that on and off the field. And, you know, you can't have those ejections. You can't have the, you know, the situation we had with Gabe Wright earlier this offseason that Adam Gates talked about where, you know, he, he was in the middle of a fight. And, you know, that's another situation where you can get ejected from. So I think that he is growing uh, from all accounts. I haven't been here in the past, but he seems like he, he he's going undergoing some maturation. We had a long talk with him in the locker room uh, last week where he really talked about some of his growth elements, how he – sees things a lot clearer now as a third-year player than he did as a rookie. And I think that's what you want to see as a fan, as the Dolphins as a whole. Um, the second question mark is obviously his health. That's why I believe they brought in Frank Gore is that you don't, you're not sure if he can be a three-down full workload back yet. And you got a guy like Frank Gore who can be there to lean on um, if you feel like Drake is wearing down or you don't want to run him into the ground. So I think that you should prepare for a big year for King and Drake, for fantasy football owners. I think that he's worth his ADP and even higher. Um, but, you know, those two question marks will be something that we'll be watching for the season, you know, injuries and how he handles his continued maturity. Yeah, and one thing the Dolphins have been able to do basically for a few years now is to find running backs. And you mentioned Frank Gore. Kalen Balaj looks like a hit at this point. Sonoris Perry is running pretty hard and looking good. So that position looks good. But the one position that everyone worries about every single year is obviously the quarterback. And I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about Ryan Tannehill. And you've been around, like you said, five teams. You've been around a lot of quarterbacks, a lot of coaches. How would you compare Tannehill and the way he kind of presents himself, the way he prepares, and just the way he is as a professional every single day? Yeah, no, it's interesting. You're, you're right. I've, I've covered, you know, uh, since I've been, you know, on different beats, I've covered probably four legitimate starting quarterbacks in Peyton Manning, uh, Trevor Simeon, uh, Marcus Marcus Mariota, and, and now Ryan Tannehill. And they're all very different. Obviously, Peyton has a very big commanding personality, um, and, and, you know, he's been doing it for a while. But the other three, um, and I can even loop Brock Osweiler in there in Denver, but their other three and four were really guys who – naturally were introverted um and that's an interesting uh perspective from a quarterback because the the question mark around Mariota always in Tennessee and even throughout the draft was does he have enough to yell at his teammates does he have enough you know moxie to lead you know with his voice not just through action and I think that's a lot of the question marks that people had for Ryan Tannehill you know yes he's been accurate on the field yes he you know he has shown glimpses but can he be that vocal leader where if your receiver runs around at eight instead of ten he gets on them and he commands that respect. Um, and I think this offseason, we've seen sort of glimpses of Ryan trying to grow in that area. We saw, you know, whether you liked it or not, Kalen Balaj getting kicked out of the huddle for not knowing an assignment. Um, I've talked to Ryan. He's told me that he decided that I'm just going to be me this year and not try to please anybody. I'm going to be my personality. So I think that's an element that you really like to see out of a quarterback feeling comfortable to be himself um, and to really be able to be critical and praiseworthy of his teammates uh, when needed. So I think for Tannehill off the field and, and his vocal leadership may be just as important, as important as his performance on the field. I think at this point he's 30. He's probably, you know, not going to become a top five quarterback, but I don't think that he's, you know, uh, uh, backup quality quarterbacks, like some people say. I think he's somewhere in the middle. But if he can elevate his off the field and his uh, on-field leadership, then I think he can get to 
get the Dolphins to an area where they can compete, um, you know, for, for, you know, possibly a winning record. Absolutely. And best of all, he's just healthy. He looks good. He'll be back for the first time in some 630 days since his last regular season start. And in that game, he'll play the Tennessee Titans, where you came from, covering your last team with the Titans. And that's the Dolphins' first opponent. So if you can, and you alluded to this earlier, so I assume you watch Hard Knocks, give us your best Michael Kendricks-type scouting report, your insider trading on the Tennessee Titans, if you will. Well, I don't know if anybody wants to be Mike Kendricks these days. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> That's that's not a great person to type B, but um, I think I think with Tennessee uh, and things are changing for them because they have a new coaching staff, so they're going to be different than they were last season. This is a team that I believe the Dolphins have played three years in a row, so they're pretty familiar with the personnel that the Titans have, uh, and, and vice versa. Uh, but I think the thing that you're going to have to face with the Titans is what makes them different on offense is their two running backs and the diversity they have in that, along with their. Uh, their dual threat quarterback in Marcus Mariota. So I think the run game will be the priority uh, as far as the Dolphins defense coming forward. Um, Deion Lewis adds a much needed added dynamic to that offense. So you're going to have to have a, uh, uh, a, you know, a very prepared defense to prepare for a guy who's 240 and Derrick Henry and can run you over and, and wear you down. And then a guy like Deion Lewis, who is going to be hard to find. So I, I think the run defense of the Dolphins, which has been a question mark throughout this summer will be tested early and often. And we saw against Baltimore them have trouble um, keeping contained as far as running quarterbacks. I'm sure that Matt LaFleur and the Titans offense saw that on film and they will get Marcus Mariota uh, active with read option plays as well. So I, I think that those elements on the, the Titans offense will be a danger for the Dolphins. And then on defense, um, this is a unit that's trying to grow. Um, they have a lot of question marks in their front seven as far as their linebackers' health. Um, as far as their outside and inside linebackers. Um, Jarrell Casey's a, a heck of a player on that front line. He's probably one of the most underrated players um, in the NFL, and he's going to create constant penetration on the inside of that offensive line. But the best part of their defense is their secondary. Uh, the Kevin Byard is an all-pro player at safety, and they have probably one of the top three, if not, you know, top five, if not top three cornerback trios in the NFL with Malcolm Butler, Logan Ryan, and Dory Jackson. So um, those three guys will make it difficult for the Titans, I mean, for the Dolphins to have a bunch of success in the passing game. So I think this could be a game where they can get King and Drake involved on the ground and out of the backfield um, and then get Mike Gesicki on some matchups against their linebackers, they can have some success. It should be a good game, and if the Dolphins can get off to a quick start, get that win, it could certainly change the perspective going forward. Again, he is Cam Wolf of ESPN, covering the Dolphins beat. You can find his work on ESPN.com. You can find him on Twitter, at Cameron Wolf. Cam, thanks again for doing the show with me, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. Anytime, and we'll have to do it again soon. And there he goes once again, Cameron Wool from ESPN. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. Despite some of the audio quality issues we experienced, it was a phone call. Sometimes it doesn't always work out the best that way. But nonetheless, very good stuff, very informative. One of the most informative guests I believe I've had on this podcast in what has been a very heavy-hitting lineup over the last year here in the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. And next, we have a final roster and some cuts and some waiver wire moves to get to next on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast at Lethal NFL at Locked On Fins. Firing this podcast back up on Sunday afternoon. It's right around 3.30 on the East Coast, 12.30 for me out here on the West Coast. 
And that means we have plenty of updates regarding the Dolphins' final 53-man roster, which is up and ready to roll right now, up on LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys can see that list in its entirety. However, the Dolphins are at 54 players on the roster as it sits right now. They're going to have to trim one because today, on Sunday, they claimed a pair of players that were cut and one of those pickups really hit home for me as I am actually currently enrolled at Washington State University, a satellite campus, and the Dolphins today pick up Washington State graduate, the all-time Pac-12 leading passer, Luke Falk, coming to Miami. I was hoping they would draft him this year. They did not. He got snatched up by the Tennessee Titans in the sixth round. The Dolphins had worked him out privately a couple of times. Didn't fall to him there in that round. They didn't draft him, but he is cut by the Titans and now claimed by the Dolphins. So fight, fight, fight for Washington State. Luke Falk, now a member of the Miami Dolphins, even if it's only for one game to download all of the information from the Tennessee Titans and make them reset their audible calls, make them kind of do things differently in preparation for game number one. Also claimed by the Dolphins, former Saints and Seahawks wide receiver, Tanner McAvoy, he is a six foot six tall target. He's a special teamer, a guy that can come in the red zone, and he makes some big plays down the field too. He was part of that big time play action game that Russell Wilson had there in Seattle. And some Dolphins notable cuts that we talked about. Isaiah Ford does not make the final roster. It sounds like he'll be back for the practice squad. Buddy Howell gets cut as well, but he is the one player, the lone player picked up by another team, the Houston Texans claimed Buddy Howell. So he is out, gone and out the door. Isaac Asiata gets cut, but he is back for the practice squad. Same story for Eric Smith, the offensive tackle. He is cut, but back to the practice squad. Linebacker Quentin Poling, he gets axed as well, a seventh round draft pick, but he finds his way back to the practice squad. And Cornell Armstrong, Cordrea Tankersley, and Tory McTire round out the back portion of the cornerback roster. They all make this the team as long as safety Maurice Smith, he is on the squad as well. Mike Hole being placed on injured reserve, so he is the 55th member of the roster right now, but on IR does not count. So the Dolphins are at 54 players with the practice squad shaping up. I think we have one spot left to go. Isaac Asiata, Quentin Poling, Cameron Malvo survives the cut and gets back onto the practice squad. Jalen Davis, the cornerback out of Utah State, same story there. Leonte Carew finds himself cut, but back on the practice squad. Like I mentioned, same story for Isaiah Ford and the aforementioned Eric Smith. And defensive end Jonathan Woodard, after a very impressive undrafted free agency preseason and camp as well, finds himself on the practice squad. Offensive lineman Connor Hilland and wide receiver Isaiah Ford, like I mentioned, are the nine guys on the practice squad right now. If you guys want to see that entire list, the 54 players and the practice squad, it's up on LockedOnDolphins.com, as well as my scouting report on Luke Falk that I wrote almost a year ago. Last August 30th, I wrote up a detailed report on the top five or six quarterbacks in that draft, that crazy quarterback draft that I was all over. Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, Luke Falk, Lamar Jackson, all those boys, and Baker Mayfield. I'd be remiss to not mention him. I had scouting reports on all those guys. I posted the Luke Falk one up on LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys can find that. Again, he had a pretty rough senior year, so don't hold me accountable for that. The junior year was what I was looking at there. His very, very impressive junior season. So you can find all that stuff up on LockedOnDolphins.com. And we are going to have a bit of a change in format this week as we have a game to actually get ready for. Tons of stuff on the Tennessee Titans, getting you guys caught up on all the injury updates. Jakeem Grant, Devontae Parker, Ted Larson, where are they all at? How does the roster finally shake out? And some extensive film study on the Tennessee Titans, their tendencies, how the Dolphins can attack them. Everything you guys want to know about game day, we'll have it here for you on the Locked On Dolphins podcast as well as LockedOnDolphins.com. And real quick before I get out of here, it is about one o'clock here on the West Coast, getting close to game time for you Canes fans. 
If you listen to this podcast before the game tonight, best of luck to you guys. I am pulling for you. If you listen to the podcast on Monday after the game, either congrats or I guess there's always next Sunday when the Dolphins kick it off against the Titans. We'll be here for you guys all week. But as for today's podcast, I got to get out of here. You guys, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at NFL. The show is at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on our Daily Dolphins blog at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your Sunday. Have a great rest of your Labor Day weekend. We'll be back with you guys on Tuesday for another edition of Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. <laughs>